This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Kate McCaffrey, welcome to Better Reading. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Cheryl. It's a thrill to be here. Yeah, no, it's really nice. Um, Kate is a Perth-based author of five young adult books, including Destroying Avalon and Saving Jazz. She also runs creative writing workshops in schools. Uh, She's here to talk about her latest novel, which is for adults. It's called Double Lives, and it's a captivating exploration of truth, gender, identity, and a cold case podcast. It really is jam-packed with just about everything that everyone's talking Talking about at the moment. I yeah, I I actually wrote the first draft in 2018. So I think I might have been slightly ahead of the trend at that time. It's just taken this long to sort of get it published. So I'm kind of hitting it right where the topic is, you know, topical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hugely topical. Okay. So I, I guess the most obvious question is the move between writing for young adults and writing to adults. Firstly, why? And how? So I have actually written other manuscripts that are destined for an adult audience. I just haven't landed them with a publisher. So I have actually written, and I've written for sort of middle grade as well, but it just seems that I sort of hit um, a market where my YA books seem to be really quite topical at the time as well and really well received. So this book it had its genesis really in my YA mind because, not that I'm a young adult, but as my YA fiction writer mind, um, because I was a school teacher. And I think like a lot of writers, you know, we get our inspiration from the world around us and the people that of we course. meet. And yeah. Yeah. And for 25 years, I think I was a high school teacher. And I've always sort of drawn from, from the kids around me and what's current and what's, you know, happening in their world. Um, And so gender identity was becoming a really, really big issue in schools at the time. And it was, we were seeing, I was in a private school and we were looking at, you know, how to deal with toilets and bathrooms. I was privy to a lot of private conversations with kids who were struggling. And I found that the schoolyard is still, you know, a minefield for people who don't fit in, no doubt about it. But the younger generation seemed a lot more tolerant uh, and accepting. Do you know, uh, I totally agree with you. I've got a lot of um, nieces and nephews, you know, and then I've got greats after that, you know, so it's, I'm I'm talking 10, 15, 20, I can't remember. I'll get into trouble for not remembering. (laughs) But that is one of the things I have noticed. They are completely disinterested in gender. Like there, it's not an issue, you know, and the issues that seem to be, you know, political, like gay marriage or, you know, LGBTQ, 
that's just part of their life. They don't even understand why we're talking about it. I I, I yeah. agree. And, and I think that this was really highlighted the difference in the, the generational understanding that the kids were kind of like, what's your issue? Yeah. And the the policymakers and the decision makers were sort of like, oh, how do we deal with this? And there was one incident in particular and we were being told as a staff about a year seven who was transitioning and the, the exec, member of executive who was telling us about it got all flustered with pronouns and then threw, threw her hands in the air and said, oh, my God, that poor mother, that poor mother. And oh. I was like, wow, you wow. know, yeah. wow. So yeah. for me, I realised that I was going into a different audience. I was actually going to be approaching this from an from an adult perspective and from a, from a cisgendered female perspective, which is why my protagonist is that. I didn't feel that I could write a transgender YA coming out story, but I could write about the acceptance that's required from perhaps the older generation, which yeah. is really where I was going. Do you know, I, I'll just make this last comment on, on, on gender for, for the moment because I want to talk to you about other things. But yeah. I think our most recent election, young people came out in droves mm. and they couldn't relate to either political party mm. because they are putting issues out there like climate change, mm. like gender, like, you know, things that, they feel should just be happening. And yep. so they actually, I think, really, that's how we got so many independents and so many teals. Yes, you and know? the Greens. Yeah. And the Greens, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. They're yeah. like, hey, guys, cut it out. They're, these are the issues that we should be concentrating on. I don't care yeah. what gender you are. You need, you have the yeah. same rights and the same responsibilities and the same of everything else. These are the things yeah. that are important to us. And I'm, I felt super proud that night. I thought it was such mm. a good result. It feels yeah. like there is this really positive mm. shift towards acceptance of everything, you know, like mm. climate change and and let's make a difference and let's mm. listen to, to the younger voices. And uh, and I do I do a lot of external marking. That's actually one thing that I've I've done since I left teaching. I I'm an education consultant and I go to I, I take in um, exam marking in the composing section of mm. the exam. And the kids are all writing on environment and climate and gender, you know, the, the issues that are important. And, yeah, I feel really hopeful. Oh, do you know, I feel exactly the same way. I look at these kids around me and some are as old as, you know, 35 and then the others yep. are young as babies. And I think, hey, guys, you've got it. You've got this, oh. I think. Uh, as long yep. as we don't mess it up too badly for you, you've got this. <laughs> That's right. But hopefully, yeah. hopefully we will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk about your teaching days um, because mm. I have a profound, deep, profound respect for teachers. I loved my schooling, so I think it started there. Also, my parents were, um, teachers were like people you looked up to. They were like doctors and nurses. They were people, policemen, you know, people that were valued in the community. So if a teacher said this about you, well, that's what the teacher said. But I have noticed that change over the years. And uh, my sister is a vice principal at a, at a high school at the moment. And the. So is mine. 
Oh, there we go. We've got that in common. And it's a big school. It's 1,000 kids. And I see how much parents are involved and how difficult it is for teaching these days. Talk to me about that. As hard as it looks. It is as hard as it looks. And and that's another thing that's getting a fair bit of press recently uh, about the the workload on teachers, Mm. about the expectations on teachers. And it's such a shame because Mm. the statistics are showing that graduates are leaving within the first five years. They're like, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. Mm. And veteran teachers uh, like myself are actually going, I don't have any work-life balance anymore. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's hard because teachers they just want to do a good job. They just want to look after their kids. They want to give their kids and they the want best. The, yeah, they want them to learn in a in a positive yeah. environment. And and with the pile on of you know administration tasks of yeah. communicating with parents of uploading to whatever platform sector connect whatever's being used and nothing's been taken away. It, it, it's just further further pile on. And I actually read an article today that it's being proposed by an MP that teachers now work eight to five every day, including school holidays, so that they don't have to work from home, which I think I snorted at, mm. and um, and uh, they'll get a 10% pay increase. Mm. Teachers aren't actually really looking for, a, 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 I mean, a substantial pay increase, but they're, they're actually looking for time. They mm. want time. Mm-hmm. And this is like, oh, we'll work, work longer. And mm-hmm. it's such a shame because I remember, and this is a really, really sad indictment on the profession, that our head boy who ended up being ducks of our school got 99.99% or whatever the top wow. ATA you can get. Yeah. He came and said, I'm, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be, you know, that's what I want to be. And there was a collective groan from all of the teachers and they were like, why? Why? You could be anything. And I'm like, mm. teachers should actually be something that people are aspiring to, you know, and changing mm. lives because mm. that's effectively, like we all have that story about who was your favourite teacher. Oh, we all remember. I'm going to tell this story and I don't think I've ever told it. Just before leaving, as you know, I'm in the south of France at the moment, but just before leaving I decided to do a bit of tidying up, you know, as you do when you're packing and then you find a box mm. and then you sit down and you go through it. And, and I found a letter that I got in primary school from my teacher Her name was Cheryl Thornley and she was travelling in Europe and she sent me a letter and I read it. (laughs) Isn't that gorgeous? Absolutely gorgeous that she took the time out to write to Mm. me and I would have been in fourth or fifth class. Yeah, wow. from one yeah. thing to another. Yeah. I want to just make a comment too because I hear this a lot about teachers and holidays. You'll appreciate this after leaving teachers. What people don't realise about teaching, and, and there's other professions that are similar, like nursing, obviously, mm. where you are on that entire time. I'm not on the entire time. I'll get off this podcast to you and I can go to the kitchen and make a coffee or I can walk down the road and buy a carton of milk. I can ring a friend. I, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm not doing my work, but I don't have 30 people sitting in front of me that I have to look after from nine o'clock to three o'clock. That's on. And that's why you need respite from that. That's why you need a holiday. We, you know, yeah, I mean, and, and then, you know, teachers work anyway. But either way, you need some time away from that, from being on for that length of time. 
And I, I think you'd find that most teachers would say to you that the the term holidays they're mm. still working. Of course, they're still yes. working. Yep. Yeah. And uh, in the summer holidays, yeah, they probably get two to it's three weeks. It's just that they don't have the one or the the being on for six hours. But yes, they're probably right. doing more work or work yeah. like what we're doing. You know, for example. Yeah, that's right. On top yep. of their load, yeah. When I first started working in a bookshop in a library, if people had finished reading something that was young, my next point was like a Jackie Collins or a, you know, um, yeah. or a Tom Clancy or whatever. There wasn't that distinct genre yeah. of YA. And that has been, I think that's what's created all these wonderful young people. Definitely. Yeah. And I think I'm actually doing a PhD at the moment. Um, oh, is in- that all? <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing with teachers. They're always studying on top of working. (laughs) I I had to leave teaching to be able to do it. Um, But my PhD is actually about um, potential beneficial impact of controversial YA fiction on an adolescent readership. And it's creative writing and an exegesis. So the the novel makes up 80% of the, the the PhD and then I write a critical component to it. The novel that I've written um, for my PhD is looking at toxic masculinity and rape culture in an AFL setting. And I feel that, you know, it's such an important topic to address. And again, you know, we're looking at the topical nature of consent and rape and you know, Parliament House to, you know, football players behaving badly, you know, all of that. And it's a, it's a, it's a never-ending story. But I feel that YA is such an important genre, particularly in the classroom, because you can deal with these controversial issues and, and unpack them in a really safe environment where because reading is such an individual personal pursuit, um, when you're doing it in a classroom and yet sometimes you take the joy out of reading and destroy the book, but it also allows for perhaps difficult conversations to be had quite mm. safely. So I think that YA is a really valuable genre. And and I think also, you know, like particularly Destroying Avalon, when, when that was released in 2006, that's how old it is now, um, and it's still being taught in, in classes. It's got longer legs than I ever thought it would have. Um, I had so many kids that that contact you and and say you wrote my story or mm-hmm. that happened to my friend or I don't feel so alone and I think that that's one of the big impacts and values that that writing just writing in general has. Mm-hmm. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I just want to go back to your PhD. One of the most yep. astounding things about sexual harassment in the workplace for me was at Parliament. Higgins. Yes, Brittany Higgins. Yes. But I saw an interview with the security person that was at Parliament House that night. And she was asked by the journalist, I think, um, and this isn't verbatim, but just my memory of it, um, what happened. And she said, well, yes, she didn't know what happened, but, you know, uh, the young woman was in the office and she was asleep naked on the lounge. And she went in and put a blanket over her and thought it not serious enough to report. And I thought, oh, my God, what kind of culture makes you think that a young naked person passed out on a lounge is not serious enough. I know. I know. That was one of the most disturbing things about that. That was so telling, wasn't it, in terms of the cultural environment that that happened in? Yeah. Wow. Uh, anyway, that's not what this is about. I want to tell you a story just about YA and then we'll move on to, to the adult fiction. I, many years ago, was lucky enough to be invited to Bali for a writer's festival. And for some reason, I was put on a panel. I was moderating a panel of YA authors who were all terrific. But as I was setting up, I just noticed all these young people coming into the room and it was filling up, filling up, filling up. And I'm thinking, who on this panel is drawing this crowd? And, mm. you know, they're all wonderful authors, but none of them were big name authors. And I'm thinking, and all I'm seeing, hardly any adults, they're just were young people and they were sitting on ladders because there were no chairs left. And, and of course, I'm getting more nervous right by the minute because I didn't expect them. I thought maybe five people would show up. And it was so interesting because we started the conversation and then I thought, no, i got to find out why all you kids are here, right? Mm-hmm. And I stopped after one panellist spoke and I said to the crowd, I said, what drew you to here? And they said, and I've never forgotten this, that their generation is growing up reading and reading YA and they were passionate about it but their parents and their grandparents and the generations before that had not read these Mm. kids were largely from Bali you know that those areas around there and that the culture they would have had a culture of storytelling but not a culture of reading I'm sure well that's what they were telling me and these kids were embracing YA like it was telling their story they loved yeah. it so much. It was so empowering. And I walked away from that panel just thinking, look at this, we are empowering another generation of young people. That's so story. good, isn't it? That's yeah. so good to hear. I mean, because everybody talks about reading being like this dying art form. And I, I think that during the pandemic, we've seen an increase in reading and book sales and, you know, that sort of re- resurgence happening. Uh, And I, you know, I've been involved with, you know, we've got the Children's uh, Literature Centre here in Fremantle and that they've got a passionate group of readers and kids and and it is, it's it's really, when you go and you do workshops with those kids and you're singing to the choir, it's just, you know, it's such a lovely experience that, Mm -hmm. you know, again, more hard. Yeah, and they're the writers of the next generation. Tell me about Double Lives and how we got there. So as I said, you know, I I knew I had to I knew I had to position this in a different sort of mm-hmm. realm. 
And I am a huge, huge true crime podcast fan. Mm -hmm. And it stems back to probably the, I don't know if it's the original, but maybe the biggest impact was Sarah Koenig's um, serial. um, Loved it. Loved Loved it. it. But that started the trend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I loved it so much. And it was actually a colleague of mine. uh, She started using it. And we just used to teach it to year 11s. And I I, I ponder, I ponder what is the fascination with true crime. And, And then I figure it's kind of like, we've always wanted to know how humans think or what could propel somebody to do such such a heinous act or or why the what the where the why the how and it's 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 also a puzzle isn't it like when you're listening to something like serial you're you're actively trying to solve it or be a detective or do whatever so and I also think there's an intimacy about listening to podcasts you have a relationship with the person that you're yeah. listening to. I'm I mean I'm I listen to two or three before I even start my day. Not all true true crime. I listen to news podcasts as well. But I feel that I know everybody that I'm listening to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's great if you know you like out on a long walk or something and it makes you actually walk further because you haven't actually finished Absolutely. the episode. <laughs> so it's good for your health. Yeah. Um but I I don't know. I didn't set out to to write this, the novel the way it, it it is, but I think that that's just the way I write anyway. I don't normally set out with a with a blueprint or a purpose. I sort of set out with an idea, and somehow this character Amy was a journalist. It just so happened that she was a journalist, and then the next minute I found myself writing the opening to her podcast, and I was like oh, I think this is how it's going to go. So it felt so natural to to write this sort of frame narrative. It's not a structure I've ever used before. And I wrote this frame narrative and then I had that playoff between her, her real life and the lives that were happening within the podcast. And so that was interesting. Mm. It's, it's, it's such a great read and it's kind of complex but very, very um, readable as well. Mm. Um, do you like writing adult fiction? Is that where you're going to go? I, well, I think I'll do whatever um, because I've just finished a YA. Well, I haven't finished it. I've just handed it to my supervisors so that they can tell me I need to do more work on it. So I've got, so I'm not, I'm not, I think it's really whatever topic, however it's sort of evolves. I, I did start when I was writing uh, Double Lives, I thought it was possibly new adult. So like you were saying before, you know, there was nowhere to go from say Judy Bloom to Joan Collins. Yeah. Um Jackie. Yeah. There was no yeah, there was not a Jackie Collins, yeah. There was no middle ground. And and new adult, I thought, oh, this might be it. This might be my my young adult readers who back in 2006 were 13. I don't know how old that would make them now because maths is not my forte. But, you know, maybe they're now the ones that are looking for something a bit more adult but not perhaps, you know, and who will go, oh, let's see what she's written this time. But new adult is very hard to sort of sell. And my agent, the minute she went, we won't use the term young adult or new adult anymore. We'll just use adult. Then it it got picked up. It got legs, yeah. I mean, because there are many writers who kind of write in that space, like, you know. Um, uh, Craig Silver. Craig Silver, absolutely. Yeah. And we adore him at Better Reading. Um, yeah, Jasper Jones, who really does write in that new adult space, doesn't he? Um, adults love him, yeah. you know, young people love it. Uh, he really talks um, to an audience. Uh, and it's a genre that I think is 
is kind of going to define itself more and more as time goes on because it seems to be a natural progression for young people, doesn't it? I, I think so. I think Marcus Zusak does it as well. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I think it, I do think that, I mean, obviously publishing is, is a commercial venture and publishers are looking for your book to be successful. And so I think it's a bit like the startup of YA, it was sort of a bit of a marketing term and then it became this big genre, which which is big. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, that that you're right, I think that there will be a development in this area because it feels like that there's a, there's a natural gap there. Mm-hmm. And what's your writing style in terms of discipline working? Are you... <laughs> <laughs> you at your desk at nine and um I, I work I work every day yeah um when I was when I was teaching I had such limited opportunity and so my five YAs were all published when I was a full-time five classroom English teacher and people would ask me when do you do it and I'd say well in the school holidays you know after I'd finished marking or preparing or whatever and I think because I was always percolating the ideas or when I couldn't get to sleep at night thinking about what these characters were doing and blah, 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 that when I would sit down, it would just pour out. And I, I wrote Saving Jazz. I wrote 10,000 words. I wrote 16,000 words in, in 10 hours. And wow. then I wrote the other 10,000 words the next day. And I had a 26,000-word manuscript in two days, which I was like was the skeleton um, and then I went back and I fat, fattened it up. But people were like, how did you do that? And I was like, because I knew it, you know, because I mm. hadn't had the opportunity to, to write, that it just all happened. And that was a really, that was a really exciting experience actually doing that. Mm. But I do yeah. find that I can write quickly and then I can go back and fill it. So, yeah, that's what I learned about my writing style. I kind of write a skeleton. And I'm plot, I'm very plot driven. That I'm plot driven more than anything else. Sometimes I might know the beginning and the ending, and then have to work out how to get there. Um, and I always go back and give my characters a, probably a bit more dimension than they start out. But yeah, that's the style that I have. And I do I do work all the time. Mm-hmm. So there when I go. say it's like, well, yeah. I think that's come from your teaching discipline. <laughs> it's from- All right, we're out of time, Kate. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I've enjoyed our conversation very much. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. So have I. Enjoy France. Very jealous. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.